And welcome back to the More Money Podcast. This is episode 375 of the show. I'm your host, Jessica Morehouse. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Gabe Dunn. It was honestly a great, you know, season opener. But I've got some amazing guests throughout this whole season, including my next guest, Eleanor Tucker, all the way from... Scotland, my homeland on my dad's side. Uh, I still haven't been there and I fantasize about it all the time, but that's largely because I've just watched too much. Um, what's that show? Oh man, now I'm already going to forget the show. You know, you know the one I'm talking about. What's it called? Um, Outlander. That's the one. I know Scotland's not like that anymore. And that's probably for the best. There's a lot of war and death, but that is how I, I see it. Everyone just in plaid and just just a fantasy. But that's not at all what this episode is about. And Eleanor is actually British, <laughs> but she lives in uh, Scotland now with her family. And she's a former newspaper and magazine features writer and advertising creative. And she's worked in award-winning marketing agencies before becoming a writer for world-renowned media groups such as The Guardian and the BBC, commentating on health, society, sustainability, tech, and lifestyle. And she went on to co-found the first communications agency to focus on the sharing economy, which is the top of the day. Also, a trailblazing marketing agency specializing in two-sided P2P marketplaces. Now, she's really passionate about the potential of online platforms to democratize, empower communities, and help us live more sustainably, which, my gosh, we really need to ramp up, guys, because climate change is real. It is, and it's, it's, it's happening really fast. If you're from BC, you know those wildfires. They were not like that 10 or 20 years ago, let me tell you anyways. Um, but the reason I discovered um, Eleanor was, well, honestly, sometimes I just go on Amazon and see what's going on in there. What's What kind of personal finance books should I, I, I check out and read? And I found her book, Thanks for Sharing. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is A, a book I'm, I'm obsessed with. And I was, I absolutely loved her book, but I'm like, I hope that she's open to being on the podcast because I think this is a really important topic that we need to talk about. And we need to, we need to really talk about it practically too. What can we do as individuals? Because I know, you know, obviously governments need to do more. We know that. But in the meantime, what can we as individuals do right now? And there's a lot we can do. She has lots of great suggestions. Suggestions not for people just in the UK, but in the US and Canada, she's got some great resources in her books. And so we She's got some great resources in her book. So uh, I'm so excited to have her on the show. You're going to absolutely love this episode. And without further ado, let's get to that interview. But before I get to that interview, I want to share a little bit more information about my online course that you may not even know about, but it's been around for almost three years called Wealth Building Blueprint for Canadians. It's a course I built specifically with you Canadian listers in mind who want to learn how to do passive investing like I've been talking about for years on the show. If you want to get rich slowly, invest for the long term, you don't want to day trade or dabble in something speculative like cryptocurrency or some hot stocks that you find on Online. You just want to make sure you can retire one day or, you know, save enough for buying a home. And this course can help you. It is specifically about all the fundamentals you need to know about investing as a Canadian. But then I also show you how to build a strategic investment plan and then how to invest in your own portfolio by way of either using a robo-advisor or doing it on your own from scratch. There's lots of worksheets and calculators and spreadsheets that you will not find anywhere else on the internet hence why I had to build them myself, but also get lifetime access as well as access to the private Facebook group, my monthly Q&A sessions for students, a private email you can contact me with, and you also get a private one-on-one -on -one session with me when you finish the course as well. There are so many benefits to the course, so I highly recommend going to jessicamorehouse.com course to find more information and to apply. Again, that's jessicamorehouse.com course to learn more and to apply. Welcome, Eleanor, to the More Money Podcast. I'm excited to have you on the show, especially I don't get too, too many uh, guests from across the pond. So this is very exciting for me. Thank you for having me, Jessica. It's such a pleasure to be on. Yeah, well, I, I loved your book. So thank you so much for, for agreeing to be on. But when I read your book, the uh, thanks for sharing, I really was excited to talk to you because I think the information you have in the book, I read it honestly, in like a day. Um, I, I thought it was such a great <laughs> way to lay out this really important information about the sharing economy. And you have information about, you know, how to do this in the UK, but also in North America, which I think is really vital. But it's not really a, a topic that we spend too much time on, uh, you know, especially in the personal finance space, but it really should be more integrated. Like I was 
read your book and I was thinking I was so much more, I think, creative when I was broke in my 20s. Like I would have, you know, was trying a lot of these things just out of necessity. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of us as we maybe get older, our incomes increase or we just get influenced by social media and what everyone else is doing. We kind of let these go to the wayside. So I'm so excited to have you on the show to talk about some of these exciting things. Uh, But before we kind of like really dive in, um, because we have got a lot to talk about, you want to tell me a little bit more about you know what inspired you to write uh, your book? Thanks for sharing. But also, what do you do now? Because I know this is part of your 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 full time work. It is, yeah. It's quite unusual, I suppose, to sort of specialize in this area because it is still kind of quite an up and coming space, the sharing mm-hmm. economy. And you know, most people have heard of certain types of platform, maybe home sharing or you know the kind of Airbnb model. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with. But what most people don't realize is there's lots of stuff going on in this space and it's all it's all quite exciting but a lot of the companies are startups so you know for background really I mean I began my career as a writer I worked in advertising and then I worked as a journalist and wrote for newspapers and magazines and way back I wrote an article about home sharing and home swapping and this is before Airbnb was even a a name and I thought it was kind of fascinating idea that these platforms websites could connect people in a a virtual space but then you know that connection would flow over into real life and Mm -hmm. it could be for the benefit of their finances for the environment potentially there seemed to be you know a lot of good reasons for people to interact with other people and you know share and swap and you know, sell and rent between each other rather than just using a, a company. So to, to me, or, you know, I'd already thought that, you know, this seems a great idea, but it wasn't that, you know, that was immediately then I was completely immersed in the sharing economy. There were sort of gradual steps towards it. But uh, I now consult these for these sharing economy businesses. And I work with uh, the CBI, which is a big membership organization in the UK for companies and, um, you know, help businesses within the UK, but also globally to find out about what else is going on in the sharing economy space and also help them with their, you know, their brand and their Mm -hmm. marketing and things like that. Um, And I work also with Marketplace Risk, which is a US organization which helps the marketplace businesses like you know I mean Airbnb is a classic example with their trust and safety and uh, risk management as well so do a lot of really interesting work globally and then I suppose I reached the point where I thought you know I I would love to tell people about this but do I tell the people I work with who kind of know about it already or maybe there's a space here to write something to write a book that's for consumers that's for right regular people and say look okay there are these ways out there where you don't have to buy stuff necessarily where you can share it or swap it or if you own it already you can rent it out and I kind of wanted to just really spread the word about that and actually write something that was easy to read and just for regular people so that they could understand about this and see that it was something that I think is only going to go from strength to strength, hopefully. Yeah, Yeah, and I I feel like this, especially with, you know, younger people, Gen Z, millennials, well, not that millennials are, I feel like every time I talk about that, I'm like, no, no, we're not as young as we used to be. We keep getting older as millennials. But um, I was just talking to my husband the other day, and he was was talking to his stepdad, who's in his 70s, and he's like, oh, I don't know why people aren't, you know, they don't want to buy cars, they don't want to buy houses anymore. And it's like, it's a different world. A, part of it is just affordability. But he was just like, he didn't understand why people would, you know, rent cars or do like, uh, you know, car sharing programs or why people refuse to buy homes. They, they prefer to rent. And I'm like, it's a different uh, world now. And I think not only is it more affordable sometimes just to, to rent or, or even I know you talk about this in the book, but this is something that me and my husband have done is uh, you don't need to buy all the things that you need. For example, I know there was some stat that I thought was so interesting, like everyone owns a drill and like the the amount of time that we use that drill in a lifetime is like a couple hours, you know, it's like, why wouldn't we just share our tools or rent? You know, there's lots of tool libraries or 
I know for us, we, we did some work um, a couple months ago at a, to, to shave basically the, the bottoms of our doors because they weren't closing because we got new carpet that was a bit higher. And I'm like, I don't want to buy this saw and all these things. And we were able to rent them for the thing that we needed. I'm so glad we didn't spend hundreds of dollars buying these things. And mm-hmm. I think changing that mindset, you know, from past generations where it's all about ownership and having all the things that you need is a really great thing that, you know, a lot of us are adopting just out of either necessity or because we don't want to, you know, have just a house full of stuff that mm-hmm. we don't use. Because I think we're seeing that with a lot of our parents or grandparents. Why do we have all this stuff that's just yeah. laying there? It takes up space as well. So that's much the other space. Thing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I, you know, this past summer I was, you know, visiting my uh, parents who live in uh, Vancouver and I was in their basement. I'm like, this th- there's too much stuff here so i actually helped them clear out and it was kind of radical this stuff that they were holding on to i'm like why do you why do you still have this someone could use this someone might like this you can donate it you can sell this on a marketplace you know it's just a different way of uh thinking and it's actually kind of exciting and i think it's a generational shift as well i find it really interesting and you know i explore it explore it to a degree in in my book but i think that coming out of you know maybe the the sort of war era of last century, you know, people didn't have very much. And when, you know, the the economies started to recover and, you know, mass production and, you know, all these things, I think there was a a real sort of need and a desire, I think, within people to to have a lot of things, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mm -hmm. and things were cheaper. And um, and this kind of, you know, became the norm throughout these generations. But I think now and I see this I've got a stepdaughter who is a sort of classic gen x and um she's not interested in ownership at all and and to her I think you know it's that sort of Netflix generation isn't it it's like you you stream it you watch it you move on you don't you know there's no um sense of desire to you know we when I used to move house when I was younger it was like you know bagfuls of you know videos and uh, you know dvds and cds and all this it was like i own these and now it's like people want to tap into something they want the experience and then they're happy to move on and i think it's one of the reasons that we're seeing the sharing economy gain popularity because quite often these things are led by younger generation who are much more interested in trends and i mean fashion is a great example of that where you know people are you know actually you know, really proud of the fact they're renting uh, an outfit or they are proud of the fact that something is thrifted and you know, or that they've resold something. And whereas there might previously have been a stigma attached to that, now we're seeing this generation who are kind of like, yeah, it's rented. You know, I'm, I'm having this brief affair with this, this outfit, this look, this bag, whatever it is, and then I'm going to move on. Um, and I don't need that sense of ownership and that sort of garage full of stuff that we're talking about that we're only going to use occasionally or if ever literally sometimes people have got stuff that they they have never and will never use and and you think about the carbon cost of producing some of these things like I mean I can't imagine like you know you mentioned a power drill there I can't imagine what the carbon cost of production of of something as complex as that something as you know electronic like that is and yet for it to never be used or for it only be used sort of minutes in its lifetime it's you know, it feels it feels excessive, doesn't it? It feels quite sad. It does. I mean, I actually really liked that part of your book talking about um, the renting of things, especially like clothes or you had an experience with uh, like kind of a carpet cleaner. Like you can it, there's things that we can rent, that, especially from like individuals, because I think sometimes when we think about renting, we think of oh, renting it from a company. There's things that we can rent that we have no idea. And yeah, sometimes it's like, oh, I have a stain on a carpet. I don't want to go and buy a whole expensive carpet cleaner. I just need to rent one for a day so I can get this stain out. We really need to kind of think outside the box and see what other people have. And I think that's such a great idea. But mm. do you want to kind of share? Because I know that was, you know, a, a part that I'm like, I need to start doing that and look at some of these apps of renting like clothes. It's something that I think people only associate with really high end clothing. That's not the case. You can get some like, you know, just regular clothes for like an event. And, you know, that's the other thing that I, I always hated is like going to an event. Oh, I have to buy an outfit that then I won't really want to wear too many <laughs> times, especially if I'm photographed in it or something like that. Exactly. And I think this sort of this idea that, you know, has kind of been, I suppose, you know, um, perpetuated by 
celebrities, this mm-hmm. idea that, oh my, the horror of being seen in the same outfit yeah. twice has led <laughs> kind of mere mortals um, like us to think that, you know, we don't want to be wearing the same occasion outfit and then, you know, as you say, be photographed in it. So, you know, what's the solution there? And and clothing rental is is brilliant. And obviously there's a couple of different types of rental. The the peer-to-peer rental that I try out in the book means genuinely borrowing from other people's wardrobes. We've got some really exciting apps emerging in the UK. One of them actually has reached the US. I would need to double check that it was available in Canada. I'm not sure it is as yet. It's called By Rotation, but I know that it's um, certainly reached the US. And this is this pure peer-to-peer where you are renting from other people. I mean, the downside of that is obviously is, you know, you need to be renting from uh, a wardrobe of somebody who um, is a similar size to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there isn't that range. But I think that rental for sort of, uh, you know, regular clothing, as opposed to, as you say, sort of, you know, really special occasion stuff is becoming more mainstream as well. Um, I think the the classic one in North America uh, is Rent the Runway. Um, and we've certainly got some big players in that space. And that's where the the actual inventory, the clothing items are owned by the company and rented out, which I, I still think is is certainly a value. Um, it's easier on your pocket for, for certain. It's it's a lot, costs a lot less to rent something than it is to buy it. And then it's not going to sit in the wardrobe. So you are getting like multiple uses by different people out of the same item. So I think from that that perspective it's certainly you know better when it comes to to carbon as well um and i mean i'm not entirely sure which brands maybe are in canada maybe i've listed some in my book i would need to actually (laughs) double check but um certainly this this idea that the clothing rental is certainly not just for special occasions and certainly not anything to um you know feel ashamed of it's almost like you know if you're if you're doing that then you know you're ahead of the curve rather than doing something that's you know a kind of uh, embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, I was just thinking of stuff in my wardrobe. Like I bought a dress a year ago and it's a beautiful dress, but I wore it to a wedding and it's very wedding-esque, kind of looks like a bridesmaid dress. I'm like, I'm never going to wear this again. And what do I do? And so even thinking about even if you don't want to rent someone else's wardrobe, maybe someone else will want to rent yours. And what yes. a great way to expand and maybe, you know, depending on the app, make a little bit of money. Well, exactly. And I mean, in my book, I do very much explore this from the perspective of somebody that's renting other people's clothes, partly because I couldn't really find that many nice clothes of my own, um, <laughs> as you will remember from reading it, um, of, to rent out. I did, I think I had one success. But, you know, there are people there with sort of, you know, Carrie Bradshaw style wardrobes. And you just think, you know, this is an incredible way of monetizing the assets that you already own, getting more use out of them. And then, and as soon as we start to get more use out of things, then, you know, the production of these things is is limited because, you know, these things, it's, it's circular, isn't it? But, you know, what a great earner for somebody to, you know, you could sort of earn back the cost of the outfit itself. When you talk about the dress that you mentioned there, I mean, you, 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 you could rent it out and really sort of make the money back on it. Um, and I've even heard of people actually buying investment pieces and putting them on these apps to literally sort of reverse fund them. So it's the opposite of sort of credit on, you know, paying for something on credit and paying it back is literally buying it and then making it earn its, um, you know, its value back by renting mm-hmm. it out. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah, especially too, like I remember my, my sister also, she went to a wedding this summer and she was having the hardest time trying to find like a special occasion purse. She's like, I just need it for this wedding. I'm never going to use it again. And yeah, sadly, I did not think that, hey, maybe there's an app that you can rent something. She did end up borrowing it from somebody she knew. But if you have like a really nice selection of purses that are just in your closet you're not using, someone might need that purse for like a special occasion and you can make some money off it. Really, yeah, like you said, kind of reverse oh, engineering yeah. things. And, and purses, uh, or handbags as we call them, um, are um, perfect for rental because, of course, there's there isn't the sizing mm-hmm. issue. Yeah, exactly. Easy. And also, they're often very high value. So, um, 
you know, they, they make a great uh, rental item. And, and I've certainly done that for um, for special occasions because it really does add something to an outfit as well to have that, that lovely bag, doesn't mm, it? Absolutely. And I know, so, you know, kind of shifting more to really sharing because there's ways that you can share. There's no money passing hands. And the one thing I really liked, especially because, you, you know, it was at the beginning of the book, was the idea of food sharing. And for me, I got the idea because it's, you know, there's some apps like you, uh, you know, tried out where it's like you were giving away food that was close to its expiry, still fine and good, but you're, you know, you're not going to use it. And so it's going to be a waste if you keep it. You can exchange it with somebody and then you can maybe use the app and, and get something that you need to make for your meal that evening, which I think is amazing. But um, I, I don't know if this is something you encountered, but I know there's like some, what was it a hotel that you'd always get these like magic bags for, which I'm like, I need to find out if there's any hotels that do that. There's yeah. so many places that are, yeah, giving away food. They're like, hey, we have too much or we don't need this anymore. Come grab it for either, you know, a very small amount of money or for free. I'm like, one thing I've always wanted to do was really get into baking, but I hate the volume. Like, what am I going to do with all these baked goods? Sometimes friends don't want to eat all of it. Is this a way that I can, like, enjoy myself and then give it away and make someone's day or something like that? That would be amazing. Mm. I wish you'd be nearer me if you start doing that <laughs> because I love home baking. And actually, I used to do the same. And I think particularly in the lockdowns, I used to bake with my children. And then it's like, what are we going to do with all these? So I would just, just take them around to neighbours and things. But certainly on these apps, um, that's a great use for them that you can um, you can list items that you've you've made. Um, I know that people do like to see maybe a, a prepackaged item so that you know for things like allergies mm-hmm. um, and sort of health and safety. So I know that Olio do sort of encourage people to to show stuff that is packaged and maybe sort of show what the use by date is on that so that people know what they're dealing with. But I, I do know that people have have listed their own home baking as well. And so much food, I mean, it, it goes to waste and it's just, uh, um, it's an awful thing to see. And I just feel terrible throwing out food. Um, it really is the one thing that just makes me feel awful if something has gone past its sell-by date and it just ends up having to go into the bin. I think, you know, this could be a meal for somebody, this chicken or something. It's it's really horrendous. And and these food sharing apps certainly do allow you to sort of see what you've got in, in your cupboard, see a, a use-by date coming up and you think to yourself, look, I'm not going to use this. Let me list it. And then it's, um you know, it ends up where it's meant to be in, in people's uh, stomachs rather than in landfill, which is awful. And the the ones where you can collect the food from, uh, you mentioned hotels, cafes, restaurants, any sort of food related business, and they are subscribed to this app. The one we have here in Edinburgh is called Too Good to Go, and it um, allows people to collect these sort of surprise or magic bags at the end of usually at the end of a sort of day and you don't know what's going to be in it but it's um there is a small payment it's usually sort of two or three pounds and you get all the the sort of goodies in a bag and it just means that they're not throwing them into a bin and they've gone to a good home which which is great um so yeah my my kids really enjoy that one of my my teenage son particularly because if anyone listening has a uh, teenage son they'll know they're just sort of bottomless pit when it comes to <laughs> such things <laughs> yeah but it's it's one of those things where so we don't think about it and even just you giving the idea of look through your pantry your cupboards to see is there is there stuff that's been there for a while and it's getting close to the date where it's no no longer going to be of use and you know you're not going to use it try to find a better way whether that's you know, for example, doing a food sharing app or even one thing that I've uh, did some research on because I actually did this after doing a, a girl's trip where we bought a bunch of food and we always feel terrible because we don't eat all of it. We're like, what are we going to do? What a waste. We found that there is, um, at least in, in Canada, there's lots of uh, kind of community fridges. And so there's like either you can put dried goods or there's a fridge and freezer. You could put fresh goods and then whoever walks by and needs something, you know, can do it. And I found there's one literally walking distance from my house, which is great because I was looking through my cupboards after reading your book. I'm like, there's a bunch of stuff that I'm not going to use here. I don't want it to go to waste. What can I do? So there's, you know, again, thinking outside the box, what can we do to eliminate food waste? Because like you said, it is a big, big problem. 
And is that like the community fridges, like anyone can donate and anyone can... Yeah, it's kind of like one of those like community libraries where there's just like, you know, a little, uh, you know, thing on someone's house where it's like, you know, uh, take a book or or put a book in there. And it's just about sharing. It's the exact same concept. So it's kind of, I I think, in general for people who are maybe low income or just, you know, you know, um, kind of food insecure. And it kind of takes away the some of the stigma of like going to a food bank or something this it is private there's you know no one is seeing you do it you know you can just go whenever you want grab whatever is in there and bring it you know to your home so you can make a meal which i think is really cool that's fantastic yeah so i'm sure those exist uh you know everywhere they're popping up a, a lot more places um but it also reminds me of, of you know, going back to the the, the renting of things. And, and one thing, this is something that me and my husband have been thinking as his car is getting older, is you uh, tried out renting uh, someone else's car. And I know mm. there are apps like, was it like Turo or something like Turo, that? That's yeah. in uh, North America. That's uh, about, again, it is kind of like Airbnb of cars, which I don't love because I have some feelings about Airbnb mm-hmm. these days. It's definitely shifted to what it used to be um, into like people just using it to, you know, become a landlord um but i thought it was a really cool idea to rent someone's car for when you need well, you know what if you need a van for a day like i know so many people are like i'm you know doing some moving or i just I, I need to pick up this piece of furniture i bought and i don't necessarily want to go to a rental place this is kind of an idea to, to rent yeah. someone's car yeah, but what was that, your experience like because i know it wasn't yeah. like, perfect <laughs> well yeah and i think um, i mean throughout the book I, I really tried to sort of tell the stories of of what it was like for me to you know, to try these things and, and show that, you know, it's not always going to go right for yeah. you. And I, I think that in a way, um, I wanted to give the perspective of just, a you know, a kind of normal, busy mom who, who was trying mm-hmm. out stuff and show the benefits, but show stuff that could go wrong as well. So you're absolutely right. Um, <laughs> I did borrow a, a, a car in my neighborhood and um, it all went quite smoothly until I had to take it back and it got dark by then and I couldn't actually remember where I was meant to be taking it to. <laughs> so um, I think that says more about me than uh, than anyone else. But um, no, I, I love the idea. I love this idea of, of car sharing in, in the community, peer-to-peer car sharing, because obviously car rental is something we're all super familiar with. And and actually, this is often the case with the sharing economy. There are rental models in existence quite often, as you mentioned, for the uh, for closed rental. You know, people are familiar with this, this sort of rental of a ball gown or something. Um, y- you know, but with, with cars, you, you know, we all know about the sort of airport hire car things. But what the amazing thing about community, peer-to-peer car sharing in a community is that people who have cars that sit, you know, um, in, in a driveway or um, on the, the pavement in a, you know, in a parking bay, you know, unused for a lot of the week, you know, what that means is that people who are only occasional car users could decide not to have a car at all and simply use one of these apps to to access a neighbourhood neighbor's car whenever they need it and then for that person for that car owner the person who has chosen to continue to own a car but to to rent it out it just means obviously that they're able to get an income from something which you know and it's increasingly expensive i don't know if it's the same in canada but obviously you know the the world over we've been affected by by oil prices and um the effect on on petrol prices and you know rising things like car tax and insurance cost of living all these things it's like making people question whether it makes sense to own a car at all and of course you know we're talking about carbon again the the carbon cost of producing a car is huge and in fact i think there's a stat in my book and i not going to actually exactly <laughs> remember the percentage, but I think it's around half of the carbon footprint of a of a car is in its production, not once it's on the road. So if we can start to, you know, enable there to be fewer cars produced and actually share the cars that we've got amongst us, this is way different from you know the kind of car rental that we might be familiar mm-hmm. with for when we when we go on holiday or something like that. You're sort yeah. of hurts car car hire this is about having these assets in the community and just really making use of them together and this is that term collaborative consumption that I mentioned in the book it's about collaborating to consume not just consuming our own things and and being that sort of territorial mindset Mm -hmm. that we've had for so many years. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, sometimes you just need a car for a specific purpose. And that's why, yeah, me and my husband were just talking literally the other day about 
what are we going to do when our car, like it's, it's an older car and it's, it's, you know, it's been around and it's, it's doing well, but you know, what are we going to do when the time is to make a decision about getting a, a replacement? And he's like, you know what? I think we should try to live without a car and, and try out some of these things of maybe renting someone else's car or, you know, taking an Uber. Sometimes that makes the most sense if you just need to go to point A to point B, but there's so many options now. And I know one thing that I've been seeing a lot on, you know, social media and online is the car cost of cars is so much more expensive now than it was to purchase. Lots of younger people, especially, who think that they need a car. And again, it depends on where you live. I live in the city of Toronto. It's very easy to get around in terms of like there's, you know, lots of cars, you know, if I want to rent a neighbor's car, that's, you know, there's a lot of neighbors with cars just sitting on the street or there's, you know, transit. So if you live in something, you know, a small town or a suburb may or may not be, um, you know, possible. But, mm. you know, people are spending like a thousand dollars a month on car payments. And, you know, with our, you know, rising uh, cost of uh, living, like that is a good chunk of change that can mean that you're no longer paying your debts or you have nothing left to to save. And so is there an Mm -hmm. alternative that, you know, is not only better for the environment, but also for, you know, your wallet? Yeah. And if you and yeah, and the other the flip side of it is is keep the car and rent it Mm -hmm. out to people. Um, And I've heard of people, you know, using the likes of uh, Turo and um, I'm not sure of the other ones available in Canada. We've got a few sort of emerging uh, car sharing platforms here. And I know that in certain European countries, it, it's, you know, really quite normalized. But people can make uh, that sort of, you know, $1,000 back um, just from from renting it out um, and cover the cost that way again. So I always think it's important to remember that in the sharing economy, somebody has to own. And, um, you know, I've had this discussion before where people have sort of said, you know, so you mean nobody owns? It's like, well, somebody has to. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's a case of whether you're the, the sharer or the sharee, I suppose. Um, and, you know, like we talked about with people's, you know, your wardrobe or something. Some people have got, you know, a, a better car or a bigger wardrobe and and they can be the ones that, you know, kind of monetize these assets. Um, they're making money, but for the actual person that's doing the borrowing, they are tapping into something for a lot less as well. So, you know, the the economical benefits are on both sides of the equation and the environmental benefits are on both sides too. So that's one of the things that's really exciting about the sharing economy. Absolutely. And I know there's, you know, one part of your book, you also talk about, you know, space sharing. And like we kind of touched on at the beginning of this episode, Airbnb was, you know, one of the kind of the, the first ones about, you know, sharing. And, and it's funny, I think a lot of people forget where it started. It was really about, you know, renting, having an air mattress in your home and renting that out to someone because there was a conference that there was no hotels that you can mm-hmm. rent. And now it's kind of just become something very different than what it originally was. And it reminded me too, about Back in the day, there used to be an app and I had some friends that did a lot of traveling and it was called couch surfing and it was global and you could literally, it was free. So it was very much about the sharing um, of, you know, my space to give you, you know, help as you're, you know, backpacking around Europe or what have you. And, you know, it's it, there, there's still a lot of things like that out there. I know you tried out, um, you know, renting or, or you, you stayed at someone's house when, you know, your the family member you had in London wasn't um, able to, to give you some space. And also there's the time the office. I'm curious. I wanted to ask you about when you you did some work. There was like a hotel, and you can rent like a, a desk or whatever. Was it actually like were you not supposed to be there, or was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was another. I, yeah, there's a theme. Things go wrong. Yeah, uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I I sort of got swept along and ended up in a meeting I, oh. I shouldn't have done. But um, yeah, I didn't want to put people off using that app, but it it happened and it was kind of funny. So I thought I would share it um, in the book. But I do use this app. Um, it's actually a, a, a kind of new emerging app that's really only uh, in a couple of UK cities, but I'm hoping this will catch on. And yeah, it's called Swerf. And it's the idea is that um, you can rent a space to to work during the day when a hotel or cafe or restaurant has that, that space, has that downtime. So of course, you know, the sharing economy isn't just about sort of person to person. It can be about sort of business to consumer as well. And and what happens here is that these maybe businesses with quieter times during the day can allow people to come and work there. And, and what that does is obviously it makes them look busier. It, it sort of helps people find out about them, you know, a bit of sort of brand awareness that, you know, they might get some 
extra sales from coffees and things like that. And just generally, it sort of keeps that hospitality industry moving along and and, um, helps people to sort of get out of the house as well, which I think after lockdowns, I think a lot of us are fed up with working from home. So that was that's a great example of of that kind of space sharing using something you know, an underutilized space. And there are some other examples. I mean, I'm not sure which ones are available in Canada, but when I started looking into different kinds of space sharing, um, um, storage is one certainly where you you can, um, I think there's one called, uh, I'm just trying to think if it's called Spacer, uh, but I'd I'd need to check what was available in the Americas. But um, there is certainly a couple in in the UK where you can you know if you've got things that you want to store like power drills no I'm joking but you know um, <laughs> if you have equipment of some sort and you maybe live uh, in the centre of a city and you don't have that huge amount of storage that maybe somebody nearby has a, a bigger basement or a loft or a cellar or something an area that they can rent out and again it's that sort of um, empowerment really you've got an a space that you want to rent out and you become a sort of almost like a micro entrepreneur then making money from from that and then for the person who needs the storage space it means that maybe they don't need to travel out of town to some big sort of lock up or you know they can store stuff locally so there's that there's also um when i looked into it you can rent creative spaces you know for you know for work or maybe i don't know anything from music practice to you know maybe you're not getting enough inspiration at home if you're painting or you you want to rent a, a space to do that in so literally renting spaces in people's homes um, that maybe are more creative for you, but also gardens. I didn't realise that you can rent, you know, if, so if you wanted to have a garden party or an event or something, or even actually use their garden to grow vegetables if you don't have that space yourself. There's a, a startup called Allot Me where you can actually rent out part of your garden as a sort of vegetable patch for people to come and use. So honestly, it's such an inventive space and there are so many brilliant ideas coming through. And, you know, none of these are mainstream at the moment, but I think they often tap into a need. And and I think with urban living particularly, I think space is an important one and, and we don't often have a lot of it. And, and I think that it has to be shared around. So yeah. it makes it perfect for the sharing economy. Yeah, no, I love the idea of the the sharing of the garden because even in my backyard, I am just not, I do not have a green thumb, but I have this one space. It's an old sandbox that I know can be converted into like a little vegetable garden, but I do not have the time or the inclination to figure out how to do that. I'm like, I would love to be able to give someone who maybe lives in an apartment and, but really wants to garden this space so I can enjoy it looking beautiful when it's grown and they can have that space to to have a garden. But I think the other thing that we haven't really touched on, but this is, I think, part of the reason why I really like the sharing economy, especially as we've gotten out of lockdowns and COVID and be really disconnected, like we felt more online, but we were disconnected on an actual human level is this is a great way to meet new people, to to get to know people in your own community, because we've, I feel like, gotten really far away from that and you know you know part of that is meeting people doing these apps whether it's like sharing food or space or what have you but also I know you tried a bunch of apps uh, that were all about skill sharing which I think is really cool and I've heard a bunch of uh, about these before but you know some of them again are like oh you know pay a fee and then I'll teach you a skill I love the idea more that no there's no again payment involved you just get credits for if you know you have to help people and then you can you know uh, enjoy someone else's service you want to kind of share a little bit more about about your experience yeah. with that. I loved that idea. It's amazing. And actually, so many people have asked me about this element of the book. And I did actually, you know, I wasn't 100% sure if it was even going to include it because it's not a physical thing. And, and sometimes it's hard to to kind of categorize it. But I, I loved it so much, I did include it. And the idea, and, and I talk about in the book how it's not a particularly new concept. The idea is that it's a skills exchange, but what happens is that an hour of your time doing the thing that you're good at is automatically the same value as an hour of somebody else's and with their skills. So you on a platform, and there's a couple of them coming through in, in the UK. I'd love to know if there was anything similar coming through in Canada, but the beauty of the technology is that it allows you to 
swap your skills, but you don't always have to swap directly with the other person. So, for example, um, as you know, because I've written a book that I'm a, a writer, so I can help people as I do in the book with writing. So maybe their website or something. So I list my skill as as copywriting or writing. And uh, an hour of my time is worth an hour of somebody else's. So when I want to trade that, it's, it could be that somebody wants to use an hour of me and then I get an hour's credit, but I can then use that for a different skill, which makes it brilliant because you don't always just have to engage with that one person. And I cash an hour in then for something else. And in the book, I, I do a couple of things, but one of them was I got somebody to help me out with my house plants because I mm -hmm. keep killing them and uh, I'm getting slightly better. But she was brilliant. And, and that hour was so valuable. You just think, well, you know, if I was to sort of, I don't know, hire a professional gardener and mm -hmm. how, how would you even do that? But just to be yeah. able to get that advice and that, you know, just that know-how from somebody. Um, but it could be something much more practical than that, like bookkeeping or something to do with, I don't know, social media or even sort of like, you know, it's fixing something in your house. So all these types of things, you can just swap and, and, and it's always an hour. So it's completely cashless. And the potential for that, I mean, in communities is huge. And you do see it, it happening in, in an informal way and certainly around sort of community centers. And I know that people have done that, but I think technology could really power this and make it much more mainstream for everyone to use. And it's brilliant. And I think for older people as well, who've got a bunch of skills that maybe younger people don't have anymore. I mean, things like crafting and, you know, mending and all these sorts of things that a lot of us want to get back into. It's like how brilliant to be able to sort of tap into the older generation. But also you touched on this idea of sort of, you know, loneliness and exclusion. And I I think that, you know, ideas like this where we come together and, and actually, you know, it's a meeting of minds. And I think it's so good for everyone involved. Um, and I would love to see these these sorts of platform really thrive in the future. Have you heard of anything in Canada like that? I haven't, but I'll, I'll you know, I haven't done uh, that much research. So I'm sure I'm hopeful something exists because I'm already thinking of like, I mean, obviously, like I have got got some skills, but there's so many things that I like to learn, just hobbies. And I know you met up with like a wine expert. I'm like, mm. oh, my gosh, I would love that. I mm. love wine and I know nothing about it. I would love someone an hour of someone's time who's really into wine. You can tell me what to choose and it's, what to know yeah because imagine, imagine how much it would cost to sort of like hire a kind of wine Simulier consultant or something, or like something. That. yeah yeah there is a, a worldwide organization called time banking which i do talk about in the book i mean it's it's not sort of sharing economy in in the sense that you know there's no app for it i don't think and i i'm actually not sure how it works on a kind of you know, on a actual um, functional level, I, d I don't know, but I know it's an organisation. I know it's based around this idea of of cashless skills exchange based around an hour of of time, hence the name. Um, so anyone listening and wants to sort of find out more about skill sharing, I know time banking would probably be certainly a place to start. Um, but I, I just think it could be a fantastic. Uh, you know, it could be a revolution if, if everyone got into this. And that's the thing about the sharing economy. It's like, you know, I just want more and more people to get involved because the more people get involved, the more stuff there is out there. And there's, you know, there's more dresses to hire. There's more food for, you know, going around that's not ending up in landfill. There's more, you know, uh, gardens to plant vegetables in and things like that. And I just think it would kind of make the world a better place. I agree. I mean, I think that's what I found so inspiring about your book is just seeing the, what the world or the future of the world could be if we all um, you know came from a place more of less of what can I buy because I see everyone buying all these stuff and, and what can I share or what can I rent or you know what's a different way of doing things that will benefit me and others and you know the environment and the world at large I think it's just a really important thing to to integrate into our lives, especially as that, honestly, like we really do need to make some big changes because as you know, you know, and I, I, you know, live in Canada and there's so many wildfires and climate change and, you know, things are happening rapidly. And so we need to do what we can. Obviously, I think, you know, some things that on a higher level need to change. But, you know, what are some things that that are within our control that we can mm. do to make a, a really good positive impact? And there's so many things out there. And, you know, really appreciate again that you 
share lots of your personal experiences trying out things. And again, you have some great lists in your book. But even if this inspires someone to be like, hmm, is there like a, a food sharing, you know, situation in my community, that could be a great thing, especially if you're like a busy mom or something like that and trying to figure out, oh, gosh, I need this X, Y, Z. And there might be someone literally just down the street from you that has exactly what you need. And, you know, again, too, that the community aspect, I think we really need to figure out ways to, to reconnect with one another because it's a you know, it's the best part of life is getting to know other people and mm-hmm. and learning from them. It makes you feel like, oh, you know, there, there's a, a, a point to all of this, you know? Yeah, and save some money into the, you know, into the equation. And I think that, you know, the, the sharing economy feels like it's sort of timely for several reasons, because as you say, we've all got concerns about the planet, but mm-hmm. it's hard to make changes when you are worrying about money mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think the good thing about the sharing economy is that, you know, you get that connection to people, you get the actually you're doing something that's maybe helping the planet but also uh, a big incentive to get involved is saving or making money from it as well so it just feels like gosh Mm -hmm. you know how could you not get involved with it in the current climate Um, yeah what's the what's the downside I mean I'd say (laughs) the only downside or you know thing to to keep in mind is what you're doing is you're you're effectively probably trading some of your time but you know when people complain oh I just don't have the time I don't have the time believe me I complain about that all the time and if you actually looked at the amount of hours you spend on something that's not really a good use of your time there's there's time if you you want it to be (laughs) if you want some time (laughs) there's always some time somewhere (laughs) yeah exactly I would think if I could trade the time I I spend I don't know looking at Instagram mm-hmm. or something <laughs> you know mm-hmm. um, yeah it could always be better spent couldn't it yeah no absolutely well it was such a pleasure having you on the show I encourage everyone to grab a copy of your book thanks for sharing um, where can people you know find more information about you or the book where where can we direct people Oh, um, well, I am on Instagram, which is a a good place to find me. Um, And the book itself is, yeah, it's available worldwide. Mm -hmm. I do have a website, which is Eleanor Tucker, all one word, dot co dot UK, which if anybody Mm -hmm. wants to find out about some of the work that Mm -hmm. I do. um, And yeah, yeah. that I hope people enjoy the book and it's got a very British setting but I've um, had some really great feedback from people in America and Canada about it so mm-hmm. um, I hope that uh, everyone enjoys it as much as you did so thank you so much Jessica you're welcome And that was episode 375 with my guest, Eleanor Tucker. You can find more information about her at eleanortucker.co.uk. And if you want to grab a copy of her book, one really easy link that gives you a lot of different options is jenny.us. That's G-E-N-I dot U-S slash thanks for sharing. Uh, But again, I found it on Amazon, but I'm sure it's at, you know, all of our different bookstores. So make sure to check it out. And I will be including links in the show notes for this episode, jessicamorehouse.com slash 375. And yes, I am also giving away a copy of her book. Thanks for sharing. If you want to find more information about that, I will share it after I share a special message with you. Uh, So do not go away. Do you want to figure out where your money is going? Do you want to organize your finances once and for all? Do you want to feel less anxious about your money? Well, I have a great tool for you my collection of budget spreadsheets, which you can find at jessicamorehouse.com slash shop. These new and improved budget spreadsheets have helped thousands of people over the years. And these are honestly the budget spreadsheets that me and my husband still use today. They come in Google Sheets and Excel. They also come with a comprehensive video tutorial to show you exactly how it works. And they're very easy to use. Not only that, I've got versions for pretty much any scenario. So if you're an employee, I've got a budget spreadsheet for that. If you are self-employed, I've got a budget spreadsheet for that. If you're in a couple and one of you is an employee and one of you is self-employed, I've got a budget spreadsheet for that. I've got seven different budget spreadsheets for any kind of situation. So no matter what's going on in your life and your income, I've got a budget spreadsheet for you. So if you want to take action and see some progress with your finances, this is one really easy step that you can take right after listening to this episode. Just go to jessicamorehouse.com slash shop, find the right budget spreadsheet for you, and then start making some moves that future you will be really, really thankful for. So if you want to enter to win a copy of Eleanor's book, Thanks for Sharing, or even enter to win a copy of Gabe Dunn's book, who I had on last week, Bad With Money, which is a great book as well, make sure to go to jessicamorehouse.com slash contest. Both of them will be on there. And I update it every single week whenever I have a guest on the show who is an author. And honestly, I feel like almost everyone I have on the podcast 
isn't all their, oh my gosh, everyone has a book. No, no, one person doesn't. Okay. Um, I just like authors, you know, I, I, and I like supporting authors because also I'm an author coming, I'm coming up, uh, you know, I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah, so I will be updating it as new authors come on the show. I will add their book. I'm always going to give away uh, books. I've been doing this for years and uh, I, I like to support these authors by actually buying their books. I don't just ask them for free. Sometimes I do get free books, but I usually just keep those. And then I buy a copy of their book and then give it away to you. So jessicamorehouse.com slash contest is where you can find more information about that. Now, since it is October officially, this means, guys, that I'm officially 70% done my book. I only have three more chapters, um, which is a very exciting. Um, I'm getting, you know, the hump. I'm, I'm over the hump. Is that the saying? I'm over the hump. And so, but also it's like, oh, shoot, you know, not only is is time just flying by, but that also means like the holidays are around the corner. Like I, I can feel it. I can feel it. I'm not ready for it. I'm not summer it was just summer and now it's you know the time just goes by too quickly I just don't like I don't like it I don't like it I don't like it I don't like it mm -mm. but uh yeah so that's a book update we're we're finished the October chapter which is exciting and then three three more chapters to go and then you know it'll it'll be eventually done um, you will be happy to know that me and my husband have booked a vacation for the first week of January because I'm giving myself January as like buffer month. So I'm going to have the book fully done by end of December. We'll see because, <laughs> of course, I forgot about Christmas and I go away to Vancouver for two weeks as if I'm going to be writing there. I don't know. I don't know. But anyways, I gave myself J January as a buffer because... It's good to not just work myself right to the deadline and, and freak out and have a you know some regrets about wish I had more time. Um, but me and my husband have booked a Mexico vacation first week of January, and I'm very excited because we, you know, we we go on some like little you know trips here and there. But definitely this year, or yeah, this is year. I'm like, what year is it? It's 2023. This year it is no, we haven't gone on vacation because you know the world is expensive as hell, and you know, we bought an expensive house with an expensive mortgage. And so this is where we vacation in our basement, because that is the choice that we made. And we have to live with it because we're adults. But no, in any case, we we did book a vacation. And I'm very excited. I'm very excited. We deserve it. We deserve it. <laughs> That's what we're telling ourselves. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. So I feel like that's the only update I have for you at the minute. But thank you so much for listening. A uh, little teaser for who I have on the show next week. I have Peter Atwater, who is the author of the book, The Confidence Map. He is a behavioral finance expert. So if you're into behavioral finance, which who isn't these days? I mean, I absolutely am obsessed with it. And yes, there's gonna be a chapter in my book all about it. Um, yeah, you're gonna want to tune in next week with Peter Atwater. It's gonna be great. But uh, yeah, that's it for me. Thank you so much for listening and supporting the podcast. Also, I should remind you, I've got a YouTube channel under my name, Jessica Morehouse. And also, please, please, please follow me on Instagram if you're not already. I'm at Jessica I. Morehouse. I'm also on Threads. You know, find me there. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. I honestly have it on my little to-do list every day to, to thread at least once a day and also put out an Instagram reel to keep myself accountable because, you know, I'm not. I'm not natural with these kinds of things. I don't love it. Force myself to do it. Um, and out of, what, what's the other things that I've got? I've got Instagram. Oh yeah, there's a there's also an Instagram for the podcast. If you just want to have like a weekly note notification, basically, it's like, hey, there's a new episode. That's a great way to do that at More Money Podcast. And you know, Twitter is dead to me. I, I'm not into X. I'm not into what's going on over there and what's happening. I don't like it. It is a dumpster fire, and I don't want to participate. So, but I am on Twitter. If you want to find me. But you know, I think after Elon got rid of my blue check mark, which I earned and I had for like seven years, and he asked me to pay for it, I'm like, absolutely not. I'm not going to pay for something like that. And I do not pay for my Instagram. Uh, what's it called? Verification? Yeah, yeah, I'm just like not into it. So that's what's going on there. Nothing, a whole lot of nothing. But yeah, anyways, that is it for me. Thank you so much to my wonderful podcast editor, Matt Rideout. And yeah, I will see you back here next Wednesday with a fresh new episode of the More Money Podcast. See you then. This podcast is distributed by the Women in Media Podcast Network. Find out more at womeninmedia.network.